listening to Driven Radio Show, your home for car talk covering the latest news to the greatest views on the biggest names in performance, sports, and just plain cool driving machines. Let's rev up the conversation. Time for Driven Radio Show. Hi, thanks for listening to Driven Radio Show. I'm Mark Groves. Brett and I are taking a knee this week. We're going to take a break and play a best of from April of 2022. Now, in this episode is also Corey Pratt from Craving Cars on YouTube and the ever-nice, ever-well-dressed Andy Reid. Coming to you from Driven Radio World Headquarters. That always sounds so overblown, but oh, I love it. so nice. It's World true. Headquarters in beautiful Overland Park, Kansas. Our special guest this week is auto journalist Andy Reid. Andy has written for Grassroots, Grassroots Motorsports, Racer, Vintage Motorsport Magazine, Jaguar World, Haggerty Online, Classic Motorsports Magazine, and he currently writes for ClassicCars.com, Magneto, and Tazio Magazines. He is a licensed independent collector car insurance specialist and all-around fun guy. Andy, welcome back to Driven Radio. Thanks, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been waiting for this. A few weeks back, we had your buddy John Sacamino on, and John and I gave you hell about wearing a tweed shooting jacket (laughs) at Gooding Amelia Island. Now, in our defense, or at least in my defense, you were the best-dressed auto journalist in the room, so I'll give you that. But in spite of all the crap we gave you, uh, I wanted to give you an opportunity to come in and defend yourself and your sartorial taste. Uh, I heard it was double-breasted and plaid. It wasn't double-breasted, but it was tweed. <laughs> now, I'll give you the rundown. It was pants by Turnbull and Asser, shoes by Todd's. A shirt by Brooks Brothers, no, a shirt by Thomas Pink, and a Burberry tweed jacket. So, washed by Breitling. Um, I mean, I, I tend to like nice stuff. And uh, the reason I do is that when I went into the auction world in 01, the first, in, as, a, as a journalist, I I had driven my Daytona from where the heck, uh, Virginia, where we lived, to Monterey. And I show up at the Bonhams thing, my first auction outside of Bayer Jackson I'd ever been to, to be an auction reporter as a reporter. And I show up there and ran into Mark Osborne. I know, you know, Mark, I don't know if you know Mark at Bombas. Well, you know, he looks like he is, he's a guy that went to British public school, the whole thing, uh, big old famous family and things. And I'm like, I want to dress like that guy. And so I made it my point to, uh, dress like that guy. Um, there's a reason that all my clothes are pretty much British because I thought that's a really good look. I want to, I aspire to appear pre- and present like that. I don't want, I want to be the, the guy that looks very comfortable in very nice clothes. And, uh, and maybe three people will pay attention, but the three people that pay attention are the ones that you go, Oh wow. Those three people paid it. Those people, those three people know what's going on. You so, look very nice. But my first thought was it's 82 degrees in this tent. God, he's got to be hot. No, it wasn't because it, we got we'd start out in the morning and messing with the, with the stupid alpha, right? And <laughs> it was cold, and that's why I had the thing on because it was we're in the Ritz Carlton garage and making the cars finally start, and it was cold in there. Uh, <laughs> and so I didn't. We went from right there from the garage literally to Gooding from the Ritz, and on the uh, we we jumped in the car and blew over. So. And it was still chilly in the shade there. It was chilly in the shade all weekend, I thought, until Sunday when it wasn't chilly anyplace. No, it wasn't. 
you were showing a car, you know, speaking of the Alpha, uh, you were showing a car at the Amelia Island Concours for the first time. What was the car and what was it like to be on the other side of the judging clipboard? It was interesting. Uh, it was a 1939 Alfa Romeo 6C 2500 Touring Supersport Touring by Berlinetta. Berlinetta by Touring, excuse me. And car one of five. And that's why it has the slats in the rear spats is that they were, were the only one that's supposed to have the slats in those spats is car one because it's a clone of the 8C Berlinetta by Touring that won Pebble a couple of years ago. It's the, it's the 7 8 scale version of that one, basically. And it's owned by the main classic car museum, which is where I am right now doing some, I'm, I'm now their collections manager as well as all the other crazy stuff I do. So I'm up here doing some collections management. We're getting, we're moving some cars around and doing some changes and cataloging and all this, but uh, being behind the car, as opposed to the clipboard or in front of the car, as opposed to behind a clipboard was fascinating. And I've shown cars at other con other things like Hilton head, you know, let lower level car, lower level cars at lower level concourse that were my own cars. You know, I showed up my Daytona at Concorso Italiano, and that's more like fun. I never expected to win anything and didn't. But uh, it was incredibly stressful. I, I called my friend Peter Gleason, who's a collector up in Seattle with a bunch of BMWs. And uh, he's got two BMW M cars actually at the new M exhibit that's going on at Classic Car BMW Car Club Foundation that opens next month. And I said, so what's it like? You know, what do I need to expect? He's like, well, first of all, be formal with your judges, even if you know them and you're going to know them. And I went, because you judge too much. And I said, okay. And he goes, second of all, try to relax and you're never going to be able to. And make sure you eat something for breakfast. And, <laughs> okay. and he goes, and just tell the story of the car and, and try to do your best to relax. And, you know, it was just, it was, I, I was really, people, you know, I'm sitting there with this car. It's a big car. Everyone knows I brought this car out. So before judging, everybody's going, hey, well, it's a great car. And I have no idea what anybody said to me that whole time. <laughs> Uh, what I remember is, as far as before judging started, was Alan uh, Galbraith from Lemons came over because I talked to him. I said, hey, I might need some help with the car because I'm by myself in the morning. No one's going to be there. I need to get the car wiped down. And it's this giant black car. and It's going to be a nightmare. He said, I'll totally be there. I said, cool. Um, uh, I look forward to seeing you. So I show up at, at like 6, 530 or whatever and because uh, we parked the night before and put covers on the car. But even though we put a cloth cover on the car and two plastic covers, there were still do all over the car. There's no way to avoid it. Yeah. And uh, so I've gotten there with bundled with like a hundred Grios microfibers and quick detail and stuff. And he shows up and we're doing the car. And that's the, like, that's what I remember until judging is that, is that whole talking to him in the morning because it was relaxed. No one was there. We ate the world's, uh, the donuts this year. Did you eat one of those things? No, sir. I didn't. World's worst donuts. I swear to God. <laughs> and, so, and that's what I had for breakfast. So I failed at Peter's breakfast thing, but I put something in my stomach and way too much caffeine. Because I probably, they, the donut was a one time, but the coffee truck was like, they kept on coming by and I just kept on drinking it. Mm -hmm. um, and, but it's funny. So I'm there and I'm nervous and I'm thinking, okay, what do I know? Do I know my stuff? I got details on the car the night before that I needed to have, which came from Manny Dragone from Dragone Classics in um, in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. You know, big collector, awesome guy. Been in, the, been in the business forever. And he gave me this pictures of the car and period that I needed that were like a lifesaver. 
And so I'm going over my presentation and go over my presentation. I did it. I, people always do, book, do books a lot and I hate them because whenever I see a book, when I'm a judge, I'm like, oh no. Because you got like eight minutes a car when you're judging. And I know, I know the other side of it. So I know how much time they've got. I thought, why don't I just throw the thing on a dang iPad? No one does this. I wonder why they don't. And have the pertinent points and bullet points with photographs to back it up, everything I want to say. And that's what I did. And so I'm going through my presentation, going through my presentation. I think I've got it all memorized. Uh, it's all my research that I did. And, and I go there and Ed Welburn and Dr. Peter Larson show up with uh, uh, Ken Gross. And I go, Mr. Welburn, Mr. Gross. And I was just dead nervous. And Ed looks at me and smiles. He goes, Andy, it's Ed. <laughs> Tell us about this beautiful car. And it totally set me, it totally relied that comment to me as a friend to deformalize the whole situation, made it so easy for me to talk about that car. Because before that, I was like, what am I forgetting? What am I forgetting? What am I forgetting? What am I not going to say? What am I going to say? What do I need to not tell him? What do I need to tell him? And uh, from then on, uh, I was able to do it. And I didn't know Larson. I know who he is because he's a big deal. I would not really spent any time with him. But he's he's a world expert on pre-war classic coach-built cars. And he asked me some questions about the car, specific details. And they were all details I could back up with photographs that he had sent me the night before. And everything he looked at were the things I changed on the car. Oh. And I'm thinking, oh, goodness, I did it right. Uh, and, the, and I didn't expect to win a thing because we had two Dallahays, two Coach Bill Rolls Royce, that ridiculous DuPont that was supposed to be in another class that ended up in our class. The, the DuPonts have owned its whole life. So I know from being a judge, I'm thinking the DuPonts first. There's no way. You can't beat that story. And why is this car not in Coach Build American? And what happened to the Coach Build American? We were supposed to be in Coach Build European. But I'm like, who cares? And I didn't expect to win anything because uh, our car was restored by Touring in 12 oh and finished in 13 so it's an older restoration now touring built the car and restored the car <clears throat> so it was pretty righteous the things that weren't righteous were things i fixed they were mechanical things not cosmetic things uh but then we ended up with an amelia award and also a spirit of the Amelia award from uh from the Amelia people and that was well more than i expected because I, I, my thing is when you go to a Concours, and I tell people this all the time, if you get on the field at a Concours like Amelia or Pebble, you've already won just by being on the field. Yeah. It's too hard. You know, it's like 20% of the people that apply get on the field. And just by being on the field, I felt like we won. But winning an award was astounding. Um, it was remarkable. It's, uh, it sounds like an extraordinary first outing. Uh, it was amazing. It was amazing. I, I mean, the thing is, and I was so, part of the reason I was nervous is, so Saturday night, I'm walking out of the gala thing. I'm talking to, I ran into Bill Warner and we're talking. He's like, I heard what you're bringing. I said, yeah. He's like, well, you sure go big, son. Climb <laughs> <laughs> on the field. And I'm thinking, oh, dear God, what have I done? And uh, I'm like, well, thanks, Bill, I think. And I wandered off and hung out with Ralph Giles all night. Uh uh, what was wonderful is it wasn't daylight savings time this year, so we got to stay up to one o'clock in the morning and not be completely wrecked the next day. <laughs> uh, as you know, you're up, I was up at five or four forty-five. Uh, that is not a very long night. Hey, speaking of Bill Warner, how did he seem this year? The first year not having to run stinking everything. Relaxed. 
<laughs> happy it, not running anywhere just kind of going and talking to people and holding court as it were he seemed uh, like he was having a good time i think so yeah cool good uh, now the, the coolest thing about the concord and this is what the, <laughs> if you have a handler on your car or you don't drive your own car or you aren't there and are involved one of the most the concord experience was great winning the award was great which was just gravy though the whole experience was just fascinating and really really phenomenal i did a did a 5,000 word story on it. But the coolest thing I didn't know about, and I'm a journalist, so I've covered this, but I only cover certain parts of the, you know, whenever you're a journalist, yeah. you know, go, I have this class, this class, that class, and best of show, or I have this and that and that. You don't get to cover the whole thing. And with, it's too big. So when you're driving off, we drove in through the golf cart path in the, in the up, you know, basically out back. Mm-hmm. And we didn't go through the front entrance on the main road because it's always clogged up with traffic and a mis- and nightmare. And I'm like, I don't want to cook the motor. And no, let's just not do that. So I went up through the golf cart path and I, I told Alan, he goes, Hey, can we drive out together? Can I, can I ride in the morning? I was like, you know, I said, I actually said, Hey, would you want to ride out after the concord? He's like, yeah. I said, well, meet me here at 415. We'll get, we'll get out of here after we load the car up with all the junk, you know, chairs and junk and all that stuff. So we load all the junk in the car. We jump in the car and he puts a, uh, he goes, can I put a camera on the car? I said, I don't care what you do as long as you don't hurt the car because it's already been judged. You can't, I don't care what the finish is anymore. It's going on a truck. <laughs> yeah. So we get out there. We rolled the golf power path. We make a left coming out of there to go down the back road to the pickup area with the passport and everybody else. And the, the road is lined with people. And like, not like 10, like hundreds of people are lining the whole road on the way out on that back road, taking pictures and cheering and stuff. And I was, and Alan and I, as you can, as you know, cause you know, Alan, we're not at a loss for words often. No, right? no. And we looked at each other and we're like, Holy crap. I can't believe, I didn't never knew this happened, that this was a thing. And then we didn't say a word cause we're basically just choked up because it's so <laughs> cool. People are here to see you and celebrate your thing at the end of the day. And we're waving out, they're waving at us and we're waving out the window and, and revving the engine so they can hear it because it sounds glorious. Uh, and it was just the coolest final. It was like the perfect cap on this amazing weekend without its, with, it wasn't without its peril and nightmare. I mean, when the car got there on Wednesday, on Wednesday, it didn't run. Oh, no, no. So Johnny Sack of Donuts and I <laughs> spent two days at the Ritz-Carlton <laughs> garage. <laughs> now, so we get it off the trailer. But it was a perfect cap for the weekend. But so we get out the get out of the trailer. We get I get there Wednesday because I know the deal. I'm staying at the Ritz, and so I know I can park underneath. And I know getting there Wednesday, we can have our driver drop it off in front because we've only got a single car hauler. So he pulls up in front. I get in the car to fire it up, and it won't fire. I'm like, it, it'll it'll crank, but it won't fire. I'm like, oh geez. So we try and try and try, and nothing happens. So the valets all came up and pushed our car in. To the garage for us in the first first slot in the in the Ritz Carlton underground. You go through that little gate thing, and they pushed us right back there. So we were right there. So that's where we were for Wednesday and Thursday, the whole rest of the days. We what we did is we found that there was a hidden fuel pump switch for the auxiliary okay. pump underneath the dash, which you couldn't have found if you, you couldn't see it. And then we, we after you know checking spark and fuel and all this stuff, John's like the fuel filter's empty. And I called my friend Lars, who's a big hot rod guy. And I said, hey, you know, got this problem. He goes, they say the fuel pump kicks on the key. They go, they lied. They never kick on the key. There's a, there's a switch. And then they bury it. And they put it in the stupidest place you could ever put one. And lo and behold, I started to look. And there it was. And then we got it to go, which was great. But 
you know, we went to the auto parts store four times because it uses a seven eighths spark plug wrench, which is not a normal spark plug wrench rewar yeah. car. So I got a, so we get a set of spark plug sockets and they're all wrong. So we had to go back to the DM AutoZone. At the, we were the first ones at AutoZone on Wednesday. When I got there on, thir- on, on, on Wednesday, on Thursday morning, we went back for like the third run. There was a line of people with cars in Amelia. <laughs> <laughs> so we're all at Amelia Island together buying weird stuff. Um, well, you weren't but, alone. <laughs> no, exactly. But it was really, we borrowed a tester from the guys at Mann's Restoration from Jason Mann's over there out of Missouri. And he's fantastic. And they do some great work. Uh, he got a win as well. But it was interesting. It was really cool to hang out with the entrance too, uh, and in the entrance area, and, and just just you know hanging out with people I've judged a lot of times, and I'm kind of now on the in the same spot as them, and it was really neat. And to that end, you have judged a lot of times, but being on the other side, how did you prepare for this uh, mentally, physically? What did you bring with you? What did you think you were going to need? All of that good stuff. And this second part. What was surprising about this? What was unexpected? Well, what wasn't expected is the amount of help I got along the way. When I got the oh, car, cool. I knew it was built in, I, I knew it started construction in 1938 and was finished in 1939. And I knew that it was sold by John Cruz to our owner, Miles, in 2018 or nine, I guess 19. <clears throat> And the rest was a little bit murky and not very known. What I was able to do is get on the phone and call people that I knew in the hobby that led me to other people in the hobby that led me to other people in the hobby <clears throat> to build the story on what, what this car actually did. And I was able to come up with that story. And that took, I figured I would spend about, you know, 40 or 50 hours on research. <laughs> no, I spent about, about 50 hours on the phone and, <laughs> Literally, literally, I was logging hours just to check it out and see what it would take. And I had to have 50 to 100 hours on the phone. I, didn't, I know I had 50. Uh, and then I probably had a, a total of about 150 hours in research, just research. And I also needed parts because the cam cover nuts and bolts were all wrong. And the plug wires were wrong and the tires were wrong. And other hardware on the engine was wrong. So I had to figure out where to go. And I went to Jim Stokes workshops in England and they have all that stuff. And Duncan at Jim Strokes was Duncan Lawler was just, I go, here's where I am. Because you have pictures. I go, here they are. He goes, I know this is wrong. What do I need guaranteed? What is the right finish? Here I see these two. He's like, well it's a 39, so it needs this and it needs these nuts. And we need 60 nuts from this era. And the level of knowledge over there, I mean everybody was really helpful. Uh I found tires at Coker Tire that weren't on their website, but I went to the Coker Tire booth in January at Barrett when I was at Barrett on Sunday before everything started. I said, what are the chances you've got uh, five, you know, 600 by 650 Michelin 18s? And they said, they're not on the website. They go, let me check. And they had them oh. for a really nice price, which nice. was a huge, because it had Excelsior radial, radials on it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things I know as a judge is when you're the first thing we do as judges when we're doing a class is walk the whole class. And what you're looking for is all the things that make you knock the car out from the running immediately. And those are things like the wrong tires. <laughs> <laughs> then you, what you do when you see the wrong tires, you start digging. Right. Yeah. When you see wrong things that are obviously wrong or just not, they're not wrong, but they're not right for the car. Right. Michelin's or Dunlop. 
uh, bias fly tires are the proper tires, not Excelsior radials. Even though they're the right size, they're the wrong tire. Yeah. You put $100 tires in your car, and that's worth $2 million. bucks. <laughs> so my first job was to avoid all – I knew going in that I needed to take all those things that in the initial walk around would ding me points and make them go away. And the finish when we got the car was okay but not perfect. So I hired Tim McNair from GP Concord. And Tim McNair is the best in the business. No one preps a car better than Tim. And I told the owner, I said, we're going to need to hire Tim McNair. He said, what is it going to cost? I said, it's going to be expensive. He goes, okay, why do I want to do this? I go, because Tim McNair will raise the car to another level. And Tim McNair took it from a two minus to a one minus. Wow. And that's impressive. That's really impressive. And people say, well, he's a detailer. I'm like, no, 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 no. Tim did the buff and cut on the paint, of course. He did the interior. He did the touch-up on the different parts of the paint. There's a alloy strip that runs down the side of the car on each side. It goes from the front of the hood all the way to the back to the to the rear windows. And there's a it's a polished alloy, but it's got a black stripe down the middle. Mm-hmm. Only a lot of the black was gone. So Tim meticulously with a very thin, thin brush filled in the stripe and and did lots of many, you know, other things, painted the brake drums. Uh, I mean, to call him a, con- a detailer is just a disservice. He pre- prepares the car to do as well as it can at a Concord. I knew he could do it. He's done it to me for me before. I knew he was the right choice. And he literally, he made it turn into a totally different car. Nice. So that's he incredible. Was in the way. You know, people, people like Peter Gleason, that when I was nervous on Tuesday night at 11 o'clock at night, when I was at my airport, ready, uh, hotel ready to fly out to Amelia, I call him up at like nine o'clock at night, his time. I'm like, I'm freaking out. And he's like, hey, let's just have a conversation about this. And people, my friends in the hobby were really tremendously supportive. Very cool. Friends along the way, which is really neat, which is the best, you know, again, I always say the hobby, the best part about it is, the people you meet. And the oh, yeah, you meet. absolutely. The cars are just a catalyst for that because the, the cars are great, but it's, it's the friends you have in it that make it so special. Uh, so. You know, Keith Martin's fond of saying that uh, collector cars are the magnet that brings great people together. And yep. I, I think he's absolutely dead on on that. One of the most fun things uh, or, or neatest things I've found about being a journalist and, and and working for Keith and going to all the the auctions and events and everything is all the people I've met. The mm-hmm. people you meet are incredible. We've got such great people in this hobby and I I'm just I think that's the best part of it. Agreed. All righty. Amelia Island and more recently uh Meekum's Glendale, Arizona sale. They continue to show a a robustness in the market that I, I I'm blown away by. I think it's it's tough to believe for everybody. How long can things stay hot? We've had several years in a row of everything just being smoking hot. Well, we have inflation, right? So that's a that's a that's a mitigating factor for sure mm-hmm. because people are buying tangible physical assets. We have a lot of people that have made a lot of money in the last couple of years. A lot of younger, newer collectors going in, uh, and don't don't do not discount the online auctions, which are doing gangbusters. Yeah, they uh, are. Bring a trip for one, for sure. Randy and the gang, Randy and Howard and those guys who just knocked it out of the park. Um, but they're not alone. Uh, 
ClassicCars.com Auto Hunter sells more and more and more cars. One of the things I saw in Arizona is they sold an XJ6, just an 87 XJ6, for like $37,000. What? I, I go that car with, and it was just, it was a really nice original car with like 74,000 miles, thinking, but that's a $12,000 Craigslist. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> if it's clean. But they're not anymore. And oh, what's awesome. interesting, my friend Nick Smith, who used to work at Bonham's, I uh, started a thing called Classic Avenue about a year ago, and he just launched auctions about three weeks ago. And he's at around a 45, and he's had two auctions. He does them one week, he does the thing, and then they're in, and then another week, a week gap, and then he does another week of auctions. He has like a week of preview, and then he puts them up, launches, makes the auctions live for a week. And he sold 48% in his second week of motorcycles. He's primarily does yeah. classic motorcycles. Wow. And sold some very serious motorcycles for some very serious money both weeks. And what's interesting is he hit his own database because he used to work for Bonham. So he's got a big database of friends and client, primer, prior, uh, prior clients and things. And some of those people bought it. But more than 50% of his buyers, he has no idea who they were. Wow. That's wow. interesting, isn't it? Yeah. And when he's hmm. talking to him about it, it's like, you know, you had a great sell through, but how many people were new? He goes, more than 50%. I said, that's astounding. Wow. That really is. That is remarkable. No, no advertising. I threw it on Facebook. He threw it on his Facebook. Word of mouth. What's the thing? Or uh, Pick three. What are three cars in the market that have gone through the roof that have been surprising to you? Aside from an 86 XJS. <laughs> well, you know, I, you know, I've had a whole crap ton of Porsches, right? tons and a bunch of 911s and of all the 911s i've owned which is from uh 1967 all the way through uh early uh 1996 the one i like the least is the 993 and i know porsche guys love the 993 but they're miserable to work on they're a horrible nightmare to, if you want to pull the motor on a 993 you had to drop the whole rear suspension out of the car and I just don't think that they're that good looking compared to a G body car or a long hood car. And yeah. people are like, oh, they're beautiful. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I never thought they were. I think a 997 is a much prettier car than a 993. Um, I will agree with you, actually. Isn't that interesting? And, and the, the, the nine, and 997s are free or in comparison. And they, and they offer tremendously more performance and the mm -hmm. AC works and yep. things like that. It's also <laughs> a comfortable interior. The 993's got that stupid under dash. Don't, don't you know pad for your legs that's in the way it's got the ugliest steering wheel ever put on that porsche that four spoke <laughs> it's uh, terrible thing. and it loses its charm that the three spoke wheel that they had and the g bodies had and they're they're bananas money the, what, the, the biggest example is those ones those 993s at gooding they oh, were yeah. all really nice cars they were yeah. but they were driver level cars they weren't show cars and they sold for concord car love money yeah and but they're not that good a car, you know? I mean, they're a good driving car, but I, I never have understood the 993 deification that has happened by the air-cooled guys, and it, it, it baffles me. While we're talking about gooding Porsches, and that was a Porsche-heavy sale. That was mostly Porsche. Maybe you can explain to me why that Riviera Blue 968 sold for north of 120 grand. Because this Riviera Blue had low miles, and uh, it's the miles it's, weren't that low. It had like forty or fifty some odd thousand miles. It wasn't that low. 
Have you driven one of those things? No, no. You got to get in one. Um, and this is my problem. My other problem with 993s. Uh, well, with 964 or 968? Uh, 968. Yeah, 968. Nine, so transaxle car. Um, the 968 is in every way a better driving car and just about as fast, if not as fast, as a 993. Yeah, and I've, it's heard of that. I've heard of that, actually. It's it's a it's the it's the final iteration of the 944, which wasn't a terrible mm-hmm. car in itself, which is a great car, totally mm-hmm. underrated. Car. No, I'm I'm a huge 944 fan, mm-hmm. and you but, love a 968 because it's got 100 more horsepower. But I, I couldn't justify. I, I know it's rare color. It was one of what six or one of eight, and it was an originally Japanese market car that had come here, but it was still a left hand drive and okay. hadn't been federalized. I get that there, there's a number of factors that come into play, but I could not understand a buck twenty-five for that. Well, I can't either, but people love Smurf Blue, right? I mean, they really <laughs> like color. Um, uh, and that the colors really it's not polarizing. All those all those jelly bean colors are huge. And yeah. that was hundred percent color and being at Gooding at Amelia. Uh I know it was one of the cars that I wrote up for uh, for sports car market, and even in my review, I said I don't get it. Well, you know, it's probably thirty or forty G's more than the Haggerty Price Guide calls the number one car, right? I mean, it was it, fully thirty and change, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's a lot. Um, people are making some really interesting decisions on this kind of stuff uh, based on some really strange parameters that I quite don't quite understand. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, again, I really like those cars. Uh, what the interesting about those cars is you look at the body gaps in those things, they suck, right? Because yes. those, those cars were not as well made as the ones Audi made for the 944. They, the, Audis, the, the quality of construction and, and precision of the Audi built, because Audi built all the 944s until then, yeah. uh, and the 924s as well, the, they were like laser perfect. But they go, they're wobbly a little bit on the, they're not, they're not, they're not precise. And that's probably because Porsche didn't have any money in, you know, in the late nineties, they were, you know, they were in very serious straits. Well, I couldn't figure it. It was a, a two, two minus car at best. And granted it was Riviera blue. It was Smurf blue. It had a cloth interior. Uh, it was just odd. It was odd. And I couldn't believe, I think final sale, I think that thing hammered at a, at a buck 23 or thereabouts. And I just couldn't figure it out for the life of me. And, and it, I like blue cars. I got a couple. Yeah. But it makes no sense because you can buy a 930 for the same money. Yeah. Yeah. And a 930 is, I mean, and, and a 930 is a, is, you know, is, is, is a Porsche roller coaster, especially a four speed car. Cause that four, they're, they're just ridiculous how they kind of, there's nothing, nothing. Then you have a, Nine pounds of boost right now. Yeah, you know, it's, it's not a it, Hammer it's to the back. Hammer to the back. Yeah, it's like a hammer to the back. It's like a five pound sled to the back of the head. You're like, pull, holy crap, you know. And there, and then you, and you're, you're, you're at sixty one miles an hour or fifty eight miles an hour in first gear, and you're like, holy shit. <laughs> and, um, and then you go to second gear, and you're like, one oh three, and you're like, what? And that's you why know? it doesn't have a five speed. <laughs> it doesn't need it. <laughs> and the five speeds aren't as much fun, but. I, me myself, I think it was a terrible buy. I mean, sorry, David. You know, you were well sold, um, but I, I wouldn't have put my money on that. Uh, the funny thing is, if I was insuring that thing, uh, I would be able to insure it for that amount, right? Because he's got a bill of sale that said he paid for it. Mm-hmm. But if the next guy pays the sixty or seventy, it should have cost. 
Well, it's, this guy bought it for 103. Dude, show me another one. You know, that, that's one of those weird outliers. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's kind of like right on the other side of that uh, that wall uh, in the room that you first walked into, there was that salmon colored, I think, 76, 930 with no tail. And it was yeah. a one of one car and had salmon colored carpet in it. It was one of those where you open it up and you go, it's clean, it's in great shape, but wow. Yeah, it's like, it's, and it's really, really hard to look at. And a couple of my friends were like, isn't it great? I'm like, you know, if I want a turbo, I want, a, I want the tail. I mean, that's, that's the, I, that, that's the yeah. iconic part of that car. Uh, when Jeff Swartz shot those new, he shot them from the right rear three quarter because of the tail, you know? Mm-hmm. And that, because it was so dramatic, you always see the profile of the car, the Ludwigsen book on those things, it shows the tail and, uh, and it's a profile view of the car with the tail. That's what makes the car. Uh, but beyond that, the colors is just, I was like, oh, that's, you gotta really it was, be- it was a different color. Uh, it was not so bad to be off putting Of course I'm colorblind. So, you know, what do <laughs> I know? But I thought it was a good looking car. I thought it was pretty and I didn't really mind the carpet, but it was one of those where certainly it, you'd get it home and one of your buddies would say, what were you thinking? Yeah, and, exactly. And, and, and yeah. Whatever. But, you know, I don't, get, I don't get the 911 SCs that are selling for sixty and seventy thousand dollars either, and for just driver cars. And, I mean, I bought my last SC for sixteen. I bought my last Carrera for fourteen. I sold my Carrera to David Wallens at Grassroots, who still owns yeah, it. Yeah, for years you could own an SC almost free. They were nothing. Uh, they were easy to have. Now you can't touch anything. Well, the only one that's affordable right now, which is really weird, and I and. Buy these right now, everyone. Buy them right now. Is the 1983 SC Cabrio? Yeah, you can see 35 on a stellar car, and it's the lowest production of all of them. And I do not understand what those call. Well, Porsche guys don't like convertible roofs. Well, they sure built a hell of a lot of. Yeah, they did. (laughs) And and the only affordable 911s right now are Cabrios, uh, and the only affordable air cooled is that 83. All right. Rumor has it you've got a new job, Mister. Uh, you already had 11 jobs. I'm not sure you needed another one, but tell us what, tell us about your new job. Yeah. Well, I came out of Amelia and I was representing the car for the museum up here and they were looking for a collections manager and they talked to everybody else. They talked to a bunch of different people to do that. Uh, and when I got home on Monday, I was, I, I was there. I just kind of, I just collapsed. And on Tuesday, uh, Tim Seneford, who is the GM over there called me. Of, of the of the museum as well as Motorland Classic Cars because he they're on both on site. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, we wanted to have I wanted to have a conversation. Do you have time for a conversation? I said, sure. You know, thinking that you know it's an insurance question or the car's on its way or whatever else, and because uh, I insure the place too. And he goes, well, we realized that, you know, we talked to all these people and they're really nice, but we realized we already have a collections manager that we'd like to hire. And I went, okay, you know, who's that? And he goes. The problem is, you know, he goes, we'd like to have you do it. I said, well, he's like, well, here's the thing. We need about 60 hours a month. And can you spend like 35 it up in Maine once a week, a week a month? And I said, I, t- I said, well, let me, let me check. So I talked to my wife and I said, so they want me to be the collections manager in this collection up in Maine, but I'm going to be gone a week a month. And she's like, you should do that. <laughs> you should get the hell out of my yeah, house. You should leave. <laughs> she said you can't do two weeks. Yeah, I don't have like boxes and boxes of like books and auction catalogs and motorcycle parts at the front porch with a tent saying, "Yo, 
better get yourself a U-Haul on Saturday. <laughs> uh, and get these cars out of my garage and those motorcycles out of my shed. Um, but uh, no, and so I took it. And I told them initially, I said, so here's the thing. And it happened today. I was in this five-hour, four-hour meeting just because this is my second, my first, second day on the job up here officially. And I'm in this like three-hour meeting to plan things. And I said, so here's the thing. If one of my insurance clients calls me, I got to answer the phone because that, that's something's going on. They said, no sweat. I said, I mean, I would have to drop everything and answer the phone. They said, no sweat. So lo and behold, second hour of the meeting, one of my guy calls me and he goes, hey, I just got this car. I ordered blah, blah, blah from England. I said, great. I said, Tim, I got to go. No sweat. Be back in 10 minutes. So I got that guy. And I have my laptop and I'm insuring him on, the, on my lap for this new car that he just got. That put that to do a whole Haggerty right because he moves him into private client services and all that stuff. So I add because it raises the value. It's like this three hundred fifty thousand dollars thing. So I said, great. So no sweat. Hour later, uh, uh, another client of mine, a really great guy in Monterey, calls me. He goes, hey, I bought that Ducati. I said, what Ducati? He goes, a Super Leggera. I said, oh, one of those. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I go, yeah, it's one of five hundred in the world. It's one hundred and twenty thousand bucks. He goes, yeah. He goes, okay. Hold on a sec, Tim. I got to deal with this. And so I'm like, um, add this bike. This is the value. Here's the thing. Um, and so it's so far it's working. Um, it's, it's interesting. I've got to write a story tomorrow for, uh, I also write for Wayne Carini's for the Chase magazine. So I got to write a story yeah. on auction previews for the Chase uh, for May, end of May auction previews. So I got to do that tomorrow night from here, which is fine. Uh, for Russ Rockneck and those guys, which is, if you haven't seen that, it used to be called Mesh, and now it's called The Chase, and it's the same wonderful magazine. Uh, and then I've got stories for Dirk at, at, at Tazio to do here shortly as well. So it's interesting. You're a busy man. Yeah. But yeah, it's been really, really fun. So that's, they just offered it to me, and I thought, hey, this is a really cool thing, and it kind of rounds out things. You know, it's like that one other, I was, I've been looking for another interesting thing within the hobby to kind of round things out for a while. And this is, this turned out to be the right opportunity. So I'm wondering if your wife is renting out your room one week a month. She probably is. Yeah. She's, really, she's an MBA. She's I'm going to look at Airbnb. Her, so. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so, but no, yeah, it's, it, it's been really an interesting experience. And it's, and the thing is, I realize I know all this stuff and that's what I didn't know. And, you know, I've got, I'm putting together a database for the collection because there isn't one as a spreadsheet. I'm like, no, 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 no. We've got 90 some cars. We need to put together a database for this and, and of status of where things are, what the provenance is and, you know, all this stuff. And it's been kind of, it's been, it's all there, but it's all kind of everywhere. So uh, I just kind of approached it like I would any kind of a, like my old, when I was an old web project manager or project manager at AOL, I said, here's what we need to do. Here's the game plan. And Everybody's, and I've got great staff on board. We've got a bunch of young kids that work with us that are, they're not kids, they're in their twenties, but they're young and they're, they're been, they've been phenomenal and they're so enthusiastic. When everybody tells me, oh, the young kids don't care about the car hobby thinking. Yeah, that's not true. That's yeah, not I mean, true. I think most people is, did you go to the Amelia Island Saturday then? Cause <laughs> I saw them all there. Yeah. If, if they weren't carrying, if younger generations didn't care about this, we wouldn't have anything driving the market right now. Yes. And that's who's driving it. These are younger, newer collectors buying, yeah. spending money on stuff. Yeah, wow. they are. They absolutely are. And I'm thrilled to see it. Yeah, amen. Andy, thank you so much for being with us. We've been speaking with Andy Reed. 
he writes for Grassroots, Grassroots Motorsports, Racer, Vintage Motorsport Magazine, Jaguar World, Haggerty Online, just everybody under the sun. We always love having you on. And I, I really, I, I, the, my only regret is you didn't give John more crap. Well, it's just such a target, right? I mean, I almost feel bad. It's like kicking a three-legged dog. It's just, it's just oh. not okay. I mean, oh. Andy, thank you so much for being on. We appreciate it. We'll have all of Andy's social media links on readthedriven.com. And uh, call your buddy John. Tell him you're going to get even with him. Thank you so much for spending time with Driven Radio. Oh, I can't believe all the stuff he gave us to talk to Johnny Sack about. Oh, there's that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. I think there's some stories that aren't going to make the show. <laughs> <laughs> we love what we do, and we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of our listeners. You can find us online at DrivenRadioShow.com and ReadTheDriven.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven Radio Show, and listen everywhere fine podcasts are heard. I am Brett Hatfield for Corey Pratt yep. and Mr. Mark Groves. Yep. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time here on Driven Radio.